So you were saying the first time you attended CCC, what happened? So the first time I attended CCC, one of the wonderful things that I found is that there was an art installation of a robot running in a circle <laughs> constantly. And if you actually looked at it, you could see that it was, and it could be reprogrammed and then it would adapt a, pro- a program to the thing, to the way people would interact with it. Cool. And what I found is that something that I hadn't heard or realized about the CCC before into its events is that they have this guideline in the Chaos Computer Club, which they call the hacker ethics. And one of them says that computers can be used to create beauty. Hmm. And I wasn't, wasn't aware of what that means if you look at the implications of the demo scene, which in itself is an art form because you both need an understanding for art as well as the technical skills to actually program highly dense code. And thus art acted as a guide to achieve technical excellency and also showed that you can actually really create beauty using technology. Welcome back. This is FOSS Backstage and Sustain. I'm here today with Gregor Fransky. Gregor, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you so much for being on this podcast here in Berlin today. Thank you for having me. So I don't often put the lead at the beginning like that, but that's just the best intro ever. That's really cool. So you are an artist and a hacker and a computer technician. Can you tell me about your your day job and what you're doing here at FOSS Backstage? Okay, so I'm currently having two heads. On the one hand side in my day job, I do interim management for research consortia cool. in the field of digital platforms and infrastructures. What? If a couple of tech companies get together with a couple of research institutions and they run a project over like two to three years and try to tackle tough questions, it makes sense to hire an outside person to actually coordinate the project. That does make sense. Can you tell yeah. me about the kind of projects you're working on or coordinating? The two of the projects I did in the last years is one of them was building an AI assistance system for workers in industrial production, hmm. trying to enable them to make database decisions hmm. by using edge computing to real-time process data that comes out of the machines they're working on to show them what kind of internal sensors catch as information and put them into models that are actually understandable to you working on the machine. That sounds like the basic use of technology helping to improve the labor force. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And this actually is one of the understandings I have of technology is articulated in this project why I chose to work on it is that I feel like technology should empower and enable people. And that also brings me to the second part, which is my engagement in, as a we call it digital civil society in Germany, or an active, being, doing activism, is that I always found that we as a society should have discussions about in which world with what kind of technology we want to live in. Having studied physics and minored in philosophy, one thinks about the consequences of technologies developed. This now culminated in a series of events which led to my current occupation, which is that in my activist position, I am the board member for press and policy of the Innovation Council Public Health, hmm. which is a NGO. The German name is Innovationsverbund Öffentliche Gesundheit. Oh, okay. We are a child of the pandemic. We started to help develop digital tools 
to fight Corona. There was this Wir versus Virus hackathon by the German government, which was massive, with 40,000 participants in March 2020. Wow. And this is where it all started. Was that open source? It was open source mandatory. Excellent. And there were different fields to work on. And one of the fields was health, which kind of made sense. And people put together an amazing set of projects within a weekend, like actually having a contact diary as an app or having an exchange platform for lab material to piece together PCR tests for Corona because COVID PCR tests were using all standard technologies, but not in that combination. Hmm. So labs had to swap a lot of equipment. It was a project lab hive. Or a project which would basically in inspire and be the foundation of all our later work, which was digital waiting room, hmm. where when you knew that you had been in contact with someone who was infected or had infected yourself with COVID, you could basically submit all the information that you would give to the public health center anyway and put it on a homepage so that this communication could be asynchronous, hmm. asymmetric, and you wouldn't have to wait for them to call you and tell them things like numbers, street names, telephone numbers, date of birth, and all those things on the phone. But when they would talk to you, they could focus on the important stuff. Do you have someone to care for you? Do you have medical care available? Do you need medication? Does someone get you food because you're quarantined? Are there people in your household who might need help? Because now as a society, we might have established, I, I would say, best practices, what to do if someone catches COVID. We had three years to train it. But in March 2020, no one knew what to do. Is it toxic if someone puts food in front of my door and then I open it to take it in? Is that enough exposure? So that was the beginning. You said you're on the board there. Yeah. So do you advise them on what open source is and how to use it appropriately? No. We're an open source project by heart. Okay. We developed a core product, which is called Iris Connect, which means integration of remote information systems, which is a fancy name of doing, we're doing agency to X communication. Agency to X? Whatever X might be, the population. Got it. Contact tracing apps, which is where we did our first big project. Other agencies. There's one here in Germany that's still being used, right? It's currently in, in, in a revamp phase. It was used in 2021. Yeah. Serving as the connection of contact tracing apps to public health centers in North Westphalia, Saxony, Hesha, and Turinga. All German states. All four German states. Serving 54 public health centers and a population of 30.4 million people. Nice. We're kind of surprised by how that went through, but... We had generous supporters and the pandemic led people to making practical decisions. I always have a silly thing in my head where I as associate countries as being relatively equal. So when you talked about Germany developing this stuff, I thought about Ireland's COVID app, which was also open source. And then I thought about run by Nearform and Denise Cooper help with that. Uh, we've had her on the podcast before. Hmm. And I thought about Australia's open source project, which got blasted when they open sourced it by open source developers. Like, oh, you got a bug here. Then they fixed it using the power of open source. But of course, both of those countries have in the order of 5 million people each or something, right? They're not mm -hmm. huge. And Germany is, what, 130 million? 
we're currently 84. 84, 84, a lot. There's like 130 million German speaking people. Thank you. That's probably where I got that number. You're much better at numbers than I am because you wrote them down first. That was smart. Trying to not be nervous on a podcast. You're doing a great job. But 35 million people that you're rolling this out to is a massive amount of people. That's incredible. If you design it right, you get the effects of scales. Yeah. And that really helps. Like Germany had its the best software project ever done by the state in its history with the Corona Warn app, hmm. which was an open sourced app following a decentralized infrastructure serving 40 million installations. Which infrastructure did they use? Do you know the protocols? They used the DDPT, the okay. Field Bluetooth connection thing. Yeah, that was okay, developed cool, cool. By, by a bunch of very, very smart people. Camilla Troncoso was on the board. Hmm. And basically, if you look on the D3PT GitHub, you will find that basically the leading privacy engineering universities of the world contributed <laughs> to it. Cool. It's like they brought the big sledgehammer. Yeah. And then you just had to maintain one app, but it served 40 million people, which was the easy part of it. Yeah. The hard part of it was rolling out the infrastructure to connect all the laboratories that if someone would get if someone would get tested positive for COVID, they could actually automatically receive this, this information on their app and the people they were in contact with could be warned. And this, this idea of having a decentralized technology empowering actually the population is what we strive for with the Innovation Council of Public Health. Because we feel like one of the biggest questions that is not yet understood well hmm is if we want to go in a public digital transformation, it's nice to get digital tools within your agencies. Yeah. But we believe that every pandemic has led to an under, to a difference in infrastructure we live in, like getting ventilators or having sewer systems because the, the civilization evolved. And we feel like if we were lucky, COVID might lead us to understanding that we need digital infrastructures, which empower the population. Because you don't digitalize a society by putting a PDF on a homepage that someone can then fill out, print out, and mail in, or putting a web formula on it. If you basically can imitate the technology you're using by high-performance copy machines and very fast pigeons, Hmm. it might be blockchain, but it's probably not digitalizing something. Of course, it's not empowering people. And then Corona One Up did that. So we're here at Fosbeck stage. Yes. Not at the health conference. Although what you're saying is awesome and cool. And I wish I was at a health conference instead a tiny bit. What do you think about the state of open source, given the massive gains it seems to have been able to manage through stuff like the German response to, the, <laughs> to coronavirus? I feel like that there's a rather smart person in Germany. We might call her a national treasure, hmm. which is Lilith Wittmann. Hmm. She is basically a digital rights activist in the domain of digitalizing agencies. Hmm. And she said the very smart word that the ad hoc digitalization during COVID hmm. will give us best practices and worst practices to learn from for what it means to digitalize our society. And hmm. we have the whole spread. We have the Corona Warn app on the one hand, where people individually get empowered to have warnings about COVID infections within six hours. And on the other hand, we had systems like the Luca contact tracing app that 
basically was based on the idea that it would mimic a list where people would sign their names in if they would visit a venue. And with the Corona Warning Tracing app put out thousands of warnings, the Lucas system is in the situation that what happened is if you had the Luca app, yeah. you would get a test result that would be positive. Then your public health center would get the information that you have a public test result. Yes. Then they would see when they have the time to compute it, to, to take care of it. Yeah. Then they would call you. Huh. Then that you would tell them that you have the Luca app. Then they would ask you to give your identifier with the system. Yeah. Then they would access the system. Yeah. Then they would type in the identifier. Then they would get a list of the locations you had visited. Then they would pull the names of the people at the locations you visited so that they could then later have their staff call the people you were in contact with. But all this is still compliant with GDPR. And it's still GDPR compliant. Okay, and so all it's that. not a technocrat's wet dream. This is like a really useful thing. That's... No, it's not. Okay, excellent. Because the Corona Warn app warned every contact you had within 12 hours after you got your positive result. Amazing. The Luca app built on the non-scaling resource of telephone time of people sitting in public health centers. Hmm. And at the height of the pandemic, those were not even able to call the people who were positively tested. Yeah. So calling their contacts was completely out of the question. Yeah. And this is where decentralized infrastructures bring their power to bear. Because if you have those people work in an interconnected network and warn each other, and then you empower your population to take care of itself. If you try to manage them, because then you can control it, you will lose a lot of time, which might not be relevant if you do regular administration work. But if you're trying to disrupt infection chains, calling someone two hours early on a Friday night might be the difference between them staying at home and them going to meet others and infect a bunch of people. And I feel like th this is one of those tales. And this is where COVID was like basically a big laboratory to experiment with the digitalization. Hmm. And open source with the Corona Warner really showed what it can do. The Corona Warner also was taken to task hmm. by public source developers. There were more than 1,600 pull requests made on the Corona Warner by the open source community. The Luca app also did that. There were people reporting CVEs, which showed that if you do an end-to-end -end encryption between an app on a smartphone and a public health center, this would actually allow you to use the data as code paradigm and do a code injection into the data you put into your smartphone. Because if you have an end-to-end -end encrypted channel, there's no, no way you can do in, uh, input sanitation. And thus it was, you were able to achieve remote code execution in public health centers. Which so, kind of essential in a pandemic. Yeah, I, so this is fascinating. It's awesome. I want seven hours to learn more about it. I'm trying to focus, unfortunately, on open source sustainability. Now, yeah. you're talking about this wouldn't have been possible yeah. without open source. And it wouldn't have been possible without things like decentralization, without things like GDPR compliance, so people trusted the system. It's fantastic. Do we see more of these things happening in the future? We're working on it. Cool. 
So there, there's another project we started, which was a project to show, to show how you can book an appointment for a vaccination. Cool. And our idea was that your Corona Warner would scan your vaccinations. And then if it would be time for another vaccination for you, it will go ahead and scrape the internet hmm. to find an appointment that would be suitable to what you put in. Like, I would like to have my vaccination in Friedrichshain between five and seven on a Thursday night. So I like that because we're time limited, I'm going to interrupt. Hmm? I'm thinking 10 years ahead. Yeah. I'm thinking give me, give me a ahead. second on that because okay. we're getting there. And that, that system would be running in a decentralized way and be able to pick a million vaccination slots in a, in a workday. Hmm. And it would run in a Raspberry Pi. Nice. There is a talk about this by Thomas, who's also here on the Bits and Bäume conference oh, from I last year. I should have gone to that. Which showed that if you, look de- if you use decentralized tech and you smartly cut your compute between edge devices and centralized devices, you can save a ton of energy. You can use the economies of scale where you need it, where you really need to run the compute, like Zoom does with centralized video rendering. Yeah. And this can be a lot more energy efficient than if everybody renders it on their private device. Like the difference between having 20 people in isolated communities farming themselves versus having a centralized farm. Yeah. And that's, I feel, is the, the challenge we have ahead is that we have to rethink the information flows in our societies hmm. to allow for decentralized flows that then come with a lot less compute. What would you say about the major taxes that we're having, the strain on our ecosystem right now in open source, where the resources are running thin, the resources being maintainer's attention, maintainer context, mm-hmm. and maintainer time? Well, this is actually what part of my talk is about. Cool. It's suggesting that we might get something like a security TXT for Git repositories, which is machine readable. Yeah. Because the problem we have at the moment in Log4j showed us that in, in the most extreme form is how will I know if something in my dependency graph actually has a vulnerability? Don't we already have like OSSF? Don't we already have clearly well, defined? We already have massive repositories that do that function. We have those, but there is no standard for it. Yeah, they're also proprietary yeah. for the most part. Well, OSSF. And, and I talked to, to, to Brian from the OpenSSF about this. Yeah. So there are two ways to ensure the security in open source. There are preventive measures, which are great, which we need desperately. We need pen tests. We need audits. We need hardening. We need things like the project of the Buck Resilience Program. The Sovereign Tech Fund is launching for open source projects later and around next year, I guess, to really help to, to get them resilient. But we also need reactive components. What do you actually do when shit hits the fan? Whom do you call? And what we argue is that we're in a project which is called the Cybersicherheitsdialog, which is a dialogue on cybersecurity mm. with the BSI, which is Germany's federal office for IT security, basically. Mm. And they have a structured process where once every year, the civil society can come to them and tell them that they had a following topic they would like to talk about to improve cybersecurity in Germany. Mm. And we and we handed in the project Buntus Back Bounty, B3, which mm. is... Which is based on a stupid German joke because if you pronounce Buntes with the dialect of Leipzig, Bund, yeah. it, it sounds like federal. <laughs> yeah. 
And we weren't allowed to call our project anything federal because it's not a public project yet if you're doing it with a federal agency. And we argue that we need anonymous, low threshold, legally secure, ethical ways to report vulnerabilities for security researchers on the one hand side, because Log4j threw us back a bunch. Asian security researchers will not report anymore as freely, given how China chastised Alibaba. Hmm. for them reaching out to the Apache Foundation. Hmm. So we need something like an anonymous whistleblower-style report structure. And the other question is, if we actually find a vulnerability like Log4j, how do you get in contact with, first of all, the maintainers of the software? And also, how can they then alarm all those using their software before making the the bug public? And that's the question we want to have an open discussion about in a half a year dialogue format, which is called Bundesbank Bounty. And we will have speakers invited like Katie Missouri to, our, to, to have her tell us why back bounties are a bad idea. Or Brian, who will talk about what the open SSF is doing. We will have professors from German universities telling us about the legal situation that security researchers are actually in. And who will have the Lock4J people on who will tell us how it is to actually be the persons who are sitting on the library blowing up the world. We're when, trying, when is this? It starts in, well, it's currently running. And mm. the first meeting is on the 21st of this month. March. Which is March. Mm. And it's between 1700 to 1900 Central European time. Mm which is 5 to 7 p.m. Yeah. for our American listeners, maybe. And it will be live streamed on the web and will be an open, open fireside chat so everybody can join. And there is a Git repo where people can actually discuss things, which we are currently building up. And this will run until August. And we will be in various conferences like FOSS Backstage. And we will have speakers invited on our digital venue. Well, where can I go to learn more about that? You can go to our website and then you can go to the... Innovationverbundauthentizationsgesundheit. Yeah, it's a bit small, shorter. So our head, Bianca Castle, is a rather smart person who focuses a lot on accessibility and UX. Hmm. So our website is just I-N-O-E-G. Okay, I-N-O-G-E. I-N-O-E-G. E-G, got it. Like I-N for innovation. Yep. Got it. OE for the German Ö and yep. G for Gesundheit. Cool. Dot DE because we're a German product, project slash B3. Want to spark bounty. Thank you so much. And here you can sign up for the newsletter and more information will become available. And where can we learn more about you, Gregor? Are you online? I am online. You can find me on the Bird app. My nick is Little Detritus. Like little, like small, and Detritus, like the troll from Terry Pratchett's on More Pork City Guard. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can find me on Mastodon. And uh, you can find my Mastodon handle on the Bird app. Gregor, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you continue to make beautiful things with code. And I'm in awe at your ability to just continue talking while we were photographed. I did not manage. So thank you so much. Happy to do so. I just tried to ignore it before I would get nervous. Thank you so much. 